What's your feeling for tonight, uh, Craig? That, that's a really good deep U.S. team, eh? You don't want to save it, that it, for the pod, Pierre? Well, I don't think we want to <laughs> tee up the semis on our pod, right? We want the pod to live a little longer, don't we? I don't know. I mean, I think uh, nah, we're going to have this out to market that. pretty quick. Like, okay. we'll have it out to market in the next couple hours. So anyway, I, think, I was I asking a okay. question before Ryan, as usual, but it is. Well, I know, but I want his, I want his unfettered <laughs> answer on the pod. If you ask him oh, all okay. the good all questions right. before the podcast right. starts. All right. Things are not going well with the pod. Pierre and I are not getting along. It hasn't gone well. This might be the last one. Hello, folks, and welcome to Got Your Back NHL Edition Wednesday Roundtable. Today on the podcast, a star-studded cast of my TSN colleagues, Pierre Lebrun, of course, Craig Button, will join us from the World Juniors and TSN Hockey Insider, Darren Dreger, as well. We're going to discuss Connor Bedard and this record-setting performance that we're all witnessing. Can you imagine NHL general managers near the bottom of the standings and what they must be thinking about right now is tanking a thing, truly? Because if it hasn't been to this point, it probably should be this year. Also, Bruce Boudreaux with some tough comments after yet another loss for the Vancouver Canucks. We'll go round the horn, news and notes from the National Hockey League. Reminder that Got Your Back NHL Edition is brought to you by Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals. They provide equipment and supplies to all facets of the Canadian construction industry, but what sets them apart is their get-or-done attitude. It's a core value of the company. I've been to their head office. It's proudly displayed on the walls at each of their branches. Every one of the staff members lives by the get-or-done formula to ensure they never let their customers down. They'll bend over backwards to get their clientele what they need when they want it. No excuses. Cross Country Canada takes great pride in this attitude, and they believe their customers' success is their success. That's Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals. All right, time to check in with all the fellas in Toronto, Pierre Lebrun and Darren Dreger. And from the World Junior Hockey Championships, uh, Mr. Craig Button. Craig, this isn't your debut on Got Your Back, is it? I think we had last year, you had you on last year on the Edmonton pod, but you've you've been on Got Your Back before, have you not? I have, Ryan. And, uh, you know, when you sent me the note... On January the third, uh, I was I was quick. Uh, maybe I wasn't quick to respond. I knew what I was going to respond. So <laughs> thrilled to join you guys. So uh, hey, just so. if I could interject here quickly. Oh great! Because, uh, great. As we're recording this on Wednesday morning, January fourth, Craig, you know the drill. We've all been there, right? So if you're getting the call on January third, the day before, <laughs> with all due respect to your level of expertise. <laughs> This is not true. This is not true. It feels like it is, or it's poor planning on your part, Brian. It's <laughs> poor planning on my part. It's you know, normally yeah, no, I we, try. Yeah, and... no, we no, you guys are the original, the original invites. Boys. Yeah, we absolutely okay. prioritize Craig Button for this podcast because of his expertise. <laughs> I will at the retract. World I will retract. It just <laughs> yeah, you had a should. Bit Craig's. of an aroma to it. It had a yeah. bit of an aroma. <laughs> <laughs> You need to stay in your lane, buddy. You throw chirps on your own podcast. You treat my guests well. Or you're not going to be invited back. Oh, no, uh, this is Craig- about Craig. It's about you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time to get down to some business. Time for the breakdown brought to you by Pro Hockey Life. And remember, the drive towards the playoffs, it's on in the new year. No better time to outfit yourself with gear from your favorite team and pro hockey life is the place to go for all of that team swag how about your favorite sweater from your favorite player pro hockey life 
has tons of different options for you. They've got an awesome selection of other apparel as well. Doesn't end at jerseys, hats, t-shirts, souvenirs, everything you need for the huge hockey fan in your life. 16 locations across the country. Pro Hockey Life, like you, like us, is obsessed with the game. Craig, I, I think back to before the World Junior started, and I was listening to you. Might have been on your podcast with uh, with Steve Cooley, a school of button. Uh, great podcast, love it. By the way, um, you were talking about the idea that there might be a tight race of any sort between Fantilli and Bedard, and you absolutely went off. You were tired of the conversation that that Bedard doesn't have a, a level of separation. You were screaming this from the hilltops before the World <laughs> Juniors began, and now here we are. Uh, and the semifinals are set to go today, and it has not even been close. Uh, you, you knew this ahead of time, but did you even expect this level of domination from a player this age at this tournament? I, I don't think you can. Uh, I mean, the tournament is a top-level competition for this age group, and, and it's hard enough for 19-year-old players to go and excel at this at this level so you know it's one thing to talk about the draft and you know talk about how Connor Bedard stands alone but you know for him to come to this tournament and and, and shred it that's what he's done he shredded yeah. the tournament like and and the last player I saw do this at this age I mean Yarger was great in 1990 but he wasn't the best player in the tournament I mean his, his line mate Robert Reichel was fantastic in that tournament you know the last guy to do this at this age was Gretzky in 78. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it just before he turned 17. So, you know, you think about all those years. I mean, even if you go 78, 90, 23, it, it's, it's, it's unprecedented. Dregs, like, what are you hearing when you, because uh, you're always yeah. talking to different people from around the league, is everybody else's mind kind of trying to wrap their head around just how good he is? And everybody mm. wants to kind of grab this reference point compared to McDavid, compared to Matthews, yeah. compared to, what are you hearing? Well, look, Pierre wrote about this in The Athletic as well. And and, mm -hmm. and Craig, you know this. So it's it's not that, you know, the, the managers, the scouts, everyone who was assembled in, in Halifax, didn't know that Connor Bedard was a special player. So when you get there, you're looking for some of the details that maybe you didn't know because you watched him a dozen times play, you know, in the Western League with the Regina Pats, those sort of things. Or you get your general managers involved, and now they too are looking for the details. And I had one guy reach out to me yesterday who said they didn't know how good his shot was, not the velocity, but just the mechanics of that shot, you know, like Austin mm -hmm. Matthews, as an example, pull it inside and he'll shoot it that way. So the release is a little bit different. But in, in Bedard, you've got the flex, you've got the stick in general, you've got that slingshot move that, okay, we've seen it, but he uses it often and, and so effective. And more importantly than that, the one detail that I, 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 you just can't pinpoint until you see it and experience it, is he an, a moment player? And man, has he proven that. And, yeah. and not just simply because of the overtime winner against Slovakia. Um, but isn't that what it's all about? I mean, we have superstar players in the National Hockey League who are superstar players because of an elite skill set. But do they have that intangible where they can throw the team on their back? Well, McDavid does. We see that time and time again. Is Bedard capable of that at the NHL level? Don't know that, but based on what the NHL execs are telling me, they've certainly seen it here. 
peer to peer, best on best on the world stage. Yeah, it, it's and listen, I think we all agree that we we try not to overreact to world junior tournaments because in the past we've actually had some players who have had great tournaments yeah. who end up only having okay NHL careers, if at all. We've also had players who have struggled with the world juniors who end up having unbelievable NHL careers. So it doesn't always correlate. I think it's important to point that out, as as Craig would know. But nevertheless, <laughs> to be doing this at his age. <laughs> and blowing away the field. I mean, same as Dregs. When I talked to NHL front offices over the last couple of days, I mean, you can tell that a light has, you know, the fuse has been lit here in terms of teams in the bottom third of the standing saying, okay, <laughs> <laughs> let's refocus well, here on here, the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and listen, no one has mentioned the word tanking to me anyway. I can't speak for Dregs, but because I think teams are still worried about their culture. And, 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 you know, there's a way, there's losing and then there's a way to lose. All that is still part of it. I've not heard the word tanking. But certainly if you're a team that already knew that you were going to trade player X and player Y closer to yeah. March 3rd, what I heard this week, and that's why I wrote about it, is that teams are saying, yeah, if we can make that trade in January, we will. <laughs> because, because what's you know let's let's make sure we don't screw around with this draft lottery here in our odds and do you sense that drakes drakes do you sense that 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 the trade deadline for a lot of teams i mean traditional wisdom is that if you want to jump ahead of the trade deadline prices go up a little bit right they're they're a little higher early on in the year but do you do you sense the teams that are in and around that lottery standing area might be willing to jump the gun a little bit here and move out these players that are helping them get points they don't want? Could we see this artificial deadline kind of it changes a little bit for these groups? You think that's functional? Is that real? To a point, I think it's real, but you know it depends on the team we're talking about here. Right. Um, you know the Montreal Canadiens are have lost six in a row. You know they've given up thirty two mm-hmm. goals in that process, and those veteran players that we keep speculating on that should be in play that are in play aren't playing where the crap. So I mean, you how can you move pieces like that and get anything of value in return when that player isn't playing well? I mean. Ryan, you guys in Edmonton have been talking about Joel Edmondson for weeks. You know, he was dash three last night against the Nashville Predators. So I think yeah. it it depends on, on the level of circumstance. I'm reminded, though, and I've told this story many times. Paul Maurice shared this with me. It was the Eric Stahl trade with the Carolina Hurricanes back in the day. And Carolina, if, if I'm not mistaken, had a half-decent start, and things started to, to go sideways. In January, Jimmy Rutherford, then the GM, goes to Maurice and says, all right, you're not getting any help. I'm not making trades. I'm not bringing anybody in. I'm going to move guys out. So he was making trades, but not for anything coming back. And the sole reason behind that was, of course, because of the draft and the eyes that they had on that draft class at that time. So I think that that's what we're going to see because this whole Tank Nation stuff is just flat out garbage it's like because your 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 players are never going to buy in your coaches are never going to buy in so the only way you can do it is the way that jimmy did it just not bring in any help in return craig big nods from you that's essentially what what i think these teams are talking about the other thing that's that's hard and trying to move up your deadline is that it takes two to tango and you know fine there's some teams that are ready to sell off now but as one gm said to me yesterday you know, there's a lot of teams who aren't sure they're playoff teams yet. Yeah, they're in a playoff spot, but still lots of hockey to be played. So the standings yeah. themselves have a way of needing to 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 
to play out. Number two, as another GM said to me, okay, the selling teams are ready to sell. Are they going to bring down their prices from January prices? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm not paying a first-round pick for that defenseman now. I'm, I'll give him a second-round pick, yeah. but I'm not giving him a first-round pick. If he's willing to go down to a second-round pick, then I'll make that deal. So there's so many different things that yeah. still stand in a way of seeing as many trades as I think some teams Craig, would like to make. Craig, you've been in that position. You've been in that job. Is there is there a way to – tanking is such a it's, a – it's a gross word. Anybody that has any level of compete in them, it just it doesn't compute in any way, shape, or no. form. But is there a way to functionally lose? Let's relabel it. Like what's what is right. realistic for these bottom teams, Craig? And looking at Bedard and how tempting that is, looking at their teams – is there a functional way to better your chances? Yeah, there is, just as Darren just pointed out. I mean, you can't go – the players don't care about the draft that mm-hmm. are on a team. They're, they're, you can't go to them and say, hey, listen, guys, we got this really good prospect out there. Can you guys just kind of go 50%? <laughs> of course. Good luck yeah. with that conversation, right? <laughs> you know, so, you, you, like, you think about Chicago, right? Like, I mean, Pierre and Darren, you know better than me, but, like, I mean – I mean, I think we're waiting for Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves to move out of Chicago, right? So, yeah. you know, when that happens, they're, they're immediately going to become a weaker team. They're, they're already at the bottom of the standings, but they're going to become that much weaker. So, you know, that's how you do it. And I, I, I mean, I don't think the Chicago Blackhawks have made any secret about what they're doing. You know, it, what's interesting is some of the other teams. One thing to add is that with the modification in the draft lottery, you know, teams lower in the or higher in the standard, whatever it is in the thing, like teams 13, 14, 15, 16, can't move up. They just stay in their yeah. spot. So that increases the odds for the top teams uh, to, to, to a certain extent. So yeah. actually the odds are even higher this year for a team finishing lower. And I mean, whether that's a one in four chance, I'm, you know, exactly what the odds are, we'll get to the math of that, I'm sure certainly down the line. But, you know, you're also talking about, you know, a, a draft that that like we know how good Bedard is, but it's also one of those drafts where you know yeah. the the second, third, potentially fourth, fifth picks mm-hmm. <laughs> they're pretty, pretty good, good too. So, so you're you're positioning yourself in that part of the of the draft, knowing hey, listen, we we could make a significant selection here that while not getting Bedard will help our team, but I think as Darren pointed out, that's the way you got to do it. You just got to kind of and. I don't think you you, you should use. I, I hate the idea of tanking. I, I, I think in a professional hockey league where millions of dollars are at stake with salaries and ticket prices are so high, the, the TV rights are high that you, you can't have a league where where tanking is a is something that's 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 celebrated. I guess that's mm-hmm. the way I would put it. You feel, uh, Dregs, you feel teams are safeguarding their first-round picks a little bit more in a year like this? So we've heard about this draft for a year or two, and Craig, you just you just mentioned it, but all the yeah. names that we're hearing out there, whether it's Gavrikov or Edmondson, as you guys reported on this week, Chick, I mean, first-round picks, everybody yeah. wants a first-round pick for everything, and it feels like nobody wants to trade their first-round pick more than ever this year, Dregs. It feels that way, and it's always tied to comparables, right? So... Mm-hmm. You know, Chris Johnson talked about this in insider trading. You know, what the Montreal Canadiens ended up getting for Ben Sherratt. Well, that establishes a market when you're looking at Joel Edmondson. You're looking at at some of these other players. Um, but again, as, as Pierre talked about, we're still relatively early. There might be a team that that jumps, um, provided they have that partner. But how do you know? We, we don't know. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sure, again, CJ talked about this, like... 
the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, because of injury and otherwise, are, are a tire fire. But they still have to look at their future, both immediate and longer term. Why wouldn't you have a conversation with Gabrikov to get the exact idea of, of what he wants, right? And if he doesn't want Columbus, well, then that makes mm-hmm. the decision very, very, uh, very easy. But I think it's specific to the team too, right, Ryan? Like here in Toronto... Um, we've talked about the Maple Leafs wanting a, a defenseman, some help on that back end for a long time. Uh, of late now, there's speculation that maybe they're looking at a, at a forward. I mean, it goes back and forth there. But Dubas has been down this path. He's given up first-round picks, and it didn't work well for him at all. So there would be buyer's remorse in that regard. And you've got to get a real good player, a player you know that's going to help you, not just a rental player, I would think, Unless you're a team that has, you know, uh, a cupboard of, of first round picks <laughs> and you feel like you've got to make that push. I, but I, I think you're right. I think that that's kind of diminished over time here. Well, and, it, you know, not only did the Habs get a first round pick, which is Florida's first round pick, which is unprotected in this unprotected, year's draft, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for Ben Chirot. But the reason the Habs were able to push for that is the interest in Chirot, but also because the year before that, um, Columbus got a first round pick for David Savard. So these trade mm-hmm. deadlines keep feeding into each other. But one thing I want to ask Craig, uh, who, who's in terms of, you know, one of your areas of expertise here in the draft is I've had a couple of GMs tell me, Craig, that they feel that after there's a certain plateau in this draft in terms of top heavy, that after a while, not every first round pick is obviously created equal. That's the same every year, but in particular this year, do you agree with that or? Or do you think it's it kind of depends on the flow? No, I, I agree with that, Pierre. I, you know, there's okay. 32 first-round draft picks. So, so when you're picking one and you're picking the top five, top three to five, you know, you're expecting to get a real good player, a real difference maker. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just say after 10, I think if you get a regular NHL player in the first round after the, after the first 10 picks – that's really good. It's really, mm, really yeah. good. You, right. and, and yet we talk, you, you know, so what is a first round pick and, and, and what is the value of a first round pick? And you just pointed out the Ben Sherratt deal and our teams that are maybe trying to improve like the Florida Panthers were last year with Sherratt, or they may be looking at that as an example of why they wouldn't pay a first round draft pick. for well, let's well, say Joel the, Edmondson. the reason I ask you that is I wonder where the, threshold point will be on the buying teams putting a lottery protection limit on their first round pick like are they going to want a top five protected or top 10 protected and if you're the selling team does that pick not even become that valuable to you if it's too protected right i mean i wonder what the threshold will be that way yeah i would say pierre that there's that that there's two factors in this year i I think it's top five like i mean i think that's where the number i think that's where the line gets drawn and for me, and, and I mean, you can debate, so who, whoever the guys are, but for me, it's Bedard, uh, Fantilli, Leo Carlson, Edward Shala. And the fifth guy's Mitchkoff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which is an interesting becomes, case, right? With, yeah. with, with the and he becomes a wild card because I don't think yeah. it's a question of anybody not liking his talent. It's a question of where yeah. he'll be drafted and by who. Yeah. And I think I think you might have some teams looking like, Hey, we'd be happy getting into the top nine or the ninth pick. And with an extra pick, all of a sudden, they, you know, they just say, we're going to take Mishkoff. I think he right. adds a level of intrigue in here, too, mm-hmm. to the issue sure. of draft. In my own opinion at this point in time, I think it's going to be a team that 
has multiple picks, it's going to end up taking Mishkoff and just say, hey, mm-hmm. we're rolling the dice. Take That's just my sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. Listen, I want to get to, uh, we're going to get to the Vancouver Canucks here, uh, a little bit of trade talk as well. I just want to finish up the conversation <clears throat> on Bedard here, Craig, because we've got you. Um, you know, and in Pierre's article in The Athletic, you know, a lot of talk about just how good he's going to be and where he slots in into the National Hockey League right away and what his potential is. This idea of generational virtue versus just a superstar player. The question I have about Bedard, um, I want your analysis on on the the speed of his game. Connor McDavid is able to separate himself in a way that we haven't seen in quite a while from from these high end players. From a speed standpoint, what, what would you say about Bedard? About ever? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah <laughs> thanks, Pierre. thanks, Pierre. Um, Exactly. What would you say about Bedard from a speed standpoint, and and you know, breaking into the National Hockey League, uh, trying to be that difference maker right away? McDavid had that speed. Bedard isn't isn't there from a speed standpoint. How much do you think that affects his ability to step in and make a big big impact? Well, you know, Pierre and I talked about this the other day, and you know, I, I was—we had a good long conversation, the quiz master and I yesterday, and everybody <laughs> here knows that they're always long <laughs> with <Yeah>. the quiz master, <laughs> and, and we had the discussion about generational, right? And so, right. as as Pierre, when you and me were talking the, the other day, I said I, I keep straddling that line: is he generational? Is he not? I've been a little bit resistant because I don't want the generational tag to just kind of, you know, be, be lessened. Yeah. Because wire it is it down. Yeah. And, and, we, and we see Connor, <laughs> But I keep comparing Connor, uh, Connor Bedard at this stage of his career and, in, and, and at the world junior level to Wayne Gretzky. And here's the interesting <laughs> thing, Ryan. Yeah. You know, this, the questions that were said about Wayne Gretzky, oh, is he big enough? Is he fast enough? The little guy and everything that went with it. And you know, if we're going to compare Connor Bedard to to uh, the skating of Connor McDavid, well, he falls short of that, just like every other player. To Pierre's point, but mm-hmm. his game is predicated on so many other brilliant aspects, and that's why I like I straddle that line. And quite frankly, I'm pretty much I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to stepping over the line to generational. Yeah. Because from the time he stepped into the Western Hockey League, he, he 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 has done nothing but dominate. The expectations have been this high, and he's gotten higher than that. So, yeah. I, like you know, when I, I know where the skating comes in, and the quiz master asked me the same thing. But that's why, like, I don't throw Gretzky out by accident, and you know, so that's where I get to and. I think you should declare it. I think you should declare it right here on this podcast. No. Craig Button no. says generational <laughs> player. Give us a headline. Give us a tweet. And, 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 and obviously, <laughs> like Craig, it's a subjective thing about using the word generational. And I like the way you put that. We don't want to water down that word. But I guess what you're saying is if you end up going generational with Bedard, you're saying Crosby, McDavid, Bedard. Those would be the last three generational players of the last 20 years. Is mm. that what yes. Dregs? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm with you guys on this. Um, I don't like the, the, the label of generational because it, it doesn't fit very many. And you just named two of them that are legit mega stars in the National Hockey League. Craig, uh, I had a good friend of ours, Ken Hitchcock, uh, call me yesterday. And we know Hitch <laughs> is just a, he studies everything. It doesn't matter what level of hockey he's, he's on, it, right? Yeah. So we get talking about Connor Bedard and he's like, Greg, do you know who he reminds me of? And I'm uh, like, I I didn't know what was coming, but it's a curious comparison. Peter Forsberg and Mm. maybe not because of the power that Forsberg played. And, and, you know, 
Peter could be a, a mean SOB out there in certain oh. situations, but it was more about the ice that ran through his veins, you know, sitting on the bench and there's, he's borderline emotionless. But mm-hmm. as soon as he kicks his leg over the boards, it's like you, you expect he's going to do something game changing. So he, he mentioned Forsberg and he mentioned Nick Lidstrom in terms of, again, just that coolness and the ability to flip a game instantly. And you can see that in Bedard. Hmm. It, it's interesting. I mean, Hitch is, is, is somebody I love. And when he mentions Forsberg, so when you when you first said Forsberg, I'm thinking, geez, like because Forsberg was a mean sob. Like, yeah, like he, yeah. he he punished people. But but I'll, I'll share a story with you guys. We were playing a playoff game against the Colorado Avalanche in 1999, and Forsberg. They beat us 7-5 in Game 5 in Dallas on a, in an afternoon matinee Game 5 to go up three games. And do. <laughs> Forsberg was playing with a bad shoulder. He was playing with a bad shoulder. So, yeah. And he was dominant. And, and you guys spent lots of time talking to coaches. Literally, Ken Hitchcock and our coaching staff, Rick Wilson and Doug Jarvis, literally said, we don't have an answer for this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, you know, so so I look at it that way, Lidstrom, the coolness, yeah, everything. Yeah. And, and this tournament has shown that nobody's been able to have an answer for Connor Bedard. So, yeah. you know, from, you know, as, as, as we as we put it in the context and different elements of, of players' yeah. games, right? You know, I, I, I completely see where yeah. Hitch is coming from. It's so, funny. So Overtime. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Pierre. Ryan, one last thing I want to ask Greg, because this came up as well from Corey Promman when I reached out to him for the piece about, and listen, obviously Corey Promman is high on Connor Bedard as well, but the one thing he pointed out, Craig, was the whole, is he going to be a center or a winger in the NHL for Connor Bedard? And, 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 um, and does that matter or not? You know, this almost goes back, Dregs, to the conversation that I think all of us <laughs> have had a million times since Crosby and Ovechkin entered the league about center versus winger and, yeah. and the impact the player can have. I guess my question is, does it matter for Connor Bedard? It seems to me like he's going to make an impact no matter where he plays. Well, the only time Connor Bedard has played right wing in his career is uh, with, with Team Canada. Mm-hmm. It's the only right. time he's yeah. played right wing. And, he, and yeah. he's dominated at center ice. I, I, I think that, you know, that's just one element of it. You know, it's interesting. The three top centermen for the draft are Bedard, in my view, Bedard, Fantilli, and Carlson. They're all playing on the wing here at the World Junior Tournament, yeah. which is which tells you, you know, about that. But like, I think Pierre, your your last comment about does it matter? <laughs> Probably doesn't with Connor Bedard. Yeah, right. Okay, do you want to get some stuff around the horn in the National Hockey League here? The Vancouver Canucks last night, guys, uh, end up losing a game 6-2 to the New York Islanders, a game that they they were in heading into the third period and and just spit the bit hard there in the third. Uh, after the game, Bruce Boudreaux with some real pointed comments. I'm going to sh- I'm going to play three different comments for you guys. I consider these like, you know, kind of red flag comments. All of them. If you hear them at any point during a season from a coach, you're going, what's going on there? He had three of them in one post-game press conference. So here's Bruce Boudreaux uh, after the game. As soon as something bad happens to this team, they the adversity we cannot handle. And it, it seems like, oh, here we go. And then that's it. As long as we've got the lead, we're fine. But when we get behind, it's... Um, it's not a good thing. Okay, so there's that one. Then he gets uh, asked about the lack of blocking shots from his team, and this cuts right to the core 
uh, of a team's willingness to step in front and do the toughest thing in the game, and that's block shots. We have five block shots, and they have. We had three block shots. Three shot block. They had they had eighteen. Yeah. We mention it every day. We yeah. talk about it every day. We put it on the wall every day. Um, we understand it. I know that's something that has to be done. I can't go out and make them want to block shots. And then the last one. You also you always talk about the want and the will. Bruce. Yeah. You're wondering where the will is. You're talking to the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> I want to win every night. Yeah. I want to win every night, says the head coach. So listen, none, none of these are great. Uh, you know, Craig, we'll start with you. Is one of those more of a red flag than the other? I mean, that, that one about blocking shots to me. That, that just speaks to a team's willingness to do the tough things and the coach saying our team isn't willing to. Well, and, and, and so now you're talking about a willingness, right? It's not about skill. It's not about strategy. It's about a willingness. And, you know, we've seen the Vancouver Canucks at times this year, uh, you know, show some some real good ability to, to win games. And after that terrible start, they bounced back. I, I'll try to be quick on this story. When I started in uh, Calgary, we had a big problem with blocking shots. And Brad McCrimmon, our dear late friend Brad, uh, was he, he says he goes, "Can we sign Ronnie Sutter? We need to get we need to get somebody that'll show these guys how to block shots." Mm. And Ronnie had been skated in San Jose. And we made the call. We signed Ronnie. He comes in. He'd been in, he's in shape. I swear, the first game penalty kill, and Ronnie must have blocked about seven shots. <laughs> I grab I grab the I grab the the earpiece from Rob Cookson, and I get into Brad's ear, and I go. How much you liking this now? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can just imagine the smile on, on the beast's uh, face. But it, it is a willingness, and 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 coaches know it, and players can drag you into that into that fight. And you know who's going to do it in Vancouver? And mm. you know I think that you know we talk about that commitment and and things that you're willing to do and just you know sacrifice. It's a big part of winning hockey. Yeah. And you know that's the you know I think I think that he. Everybody wants to win. Who's prepared to pay the price? Yeah. I mean, the, the comment that, that would sting me the most if I were a player or anyone associated with that organization was his last comment, uh -huh. where he separated himself from the team. I know I want to win. All right. Well, are you in it together? I mean, you're the head coach. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you don't go to the media and start questioning the character of of your players and and the rest of the team i mean that literally is part of your job to make sure that everybody is on the same page i mean the mechanics of shot blocking and all of that and and you know even his first comment talking about how they sag well that's what developing teams do who you know teams that aren't ready to win you you do have to work through that i i do admire bruce um he's going down swinging but one thing we know is he's going down. That's plain and simple. But he's swinging he's, at his players. Like he's not swinging at the world the outside. He's swinging at his players, Dregs. I don't know how I much I admire it, buddy, that and respectfully. That's, that's the part that, that is unacceptable. I mean, the division that he just presented last night between himself as head coach and everybody else, that's not going to sit well with management, upper management, or ownership. Nor should it. Nor no. should it. And, and you know, so it's willingness. And then I'm not, I, and I have the willingness. Like he basically questions or will not basically he questions or willingness. Yeah. And then he says, and I'm not part of it because I'm willing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a double, it was a double gauge shotgun at his players. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's so much to get into here. And I don't want to belay this too much. Cause I think Craig and Dregs, you guys 
nailed all the pertinent points there. And what you eventually got there, Dregs, is what I was going to say is just to play devil's advocate. I get the the sort of human part of this is that Bruce Boudreau knows that he's probably on more time to some degree by virtue of his deal expiring at the end of the season. Um, and, and he is going down swinging. And I kind of admire that in a way because, because you kind of get the unfiltered part from the coach when, when you're, when you're feeling like that's the reality of your position. And especially from a coach that probably deep down, given his age, is there really another gig around the corner after this? Right. Uh, there may be, I mean, not this way. He's won a lot of games <laughs> in his career, but I guess my point is we're, we're always complaining that most of the time we often get cliches and, and, and run of the mill quotes from coaches. And, and, and right now we're getting some pretty unfiltered emotion from Bruce Boudreaux. And, and so I'm not complaining, I guess, is what I'm but saying. Man, for, for a franchise struggling here, you guys, you know, you look for reasons for optimism and this is what we're staring down the barrel of with the Vancouver Canucks. It's, it's come off the rails with the coach. We're hearing comments like that. The guy they chose to sign long-term, and we haven't talked about this, the three of us, I'll, I'll, so I'll drop my opinion here, and then you guys can add to it if you want. Embarrassed his goalie the other day. Just one of the it, – it was just a – it was a terrible look, an absolutely terrible look. And I get it's heat of the moment, but banging on the back of the net, screaming at your goalie to get to the bench. This is the guy you've signed long-term, and your heart and soul just got his 27th and 28th, and he's on his way out the door. Like everything feels backwards in Vancouver right now with the way it's supposed to feel for a team that's on the upswing. Yeah, I would agree with that, Ryan. And, and but but it's not one incident. It's it, it seems that it's been something that's just you know moved along. You know the start, and then you know they kind of found themselves. But there just feels like there's just been this sense of uncertainty with the group and 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 they're not settled in the, the Horvat situation with his contract you know Miller and, and just everything that's gone on in there and, and this is what happens when you're when you're in a when you're in a state of disarray and you know Jim Rutherford has so much experience and you know one of the things you know you're trying to balance a lot of things I, I look back to the Montreal Canadiens last year Jeff Gordon did not want to replace Dominic Ducharme. He didn't. He wanted to get to the end of the year, but he, he mm. reached a point where he said the spirit of the team is broken and he, and he was Agreed. left with no choice. And I think that Jim is probably looking at a similar situation right now. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Travis Green fan. I'm a big Travis Green fan. And Travis Green, had, like, you know, any coach that thinks their team might be capable more is going to have frustrations. But through all those frustrations last year, Travis never, <laughs> never went against the players. And, mm -hmm. you know, Bruce, for all his success in the league, and I get emotion and, and everything that goes with it. But to Darren and Pierre's point, it's that's a that's a tough way to go. <laughs> Just a tough way to go. Yeah. Look, you know, if, if we're dialing back to JT Miller, um, we know he runs hot. He just does, um, you know, whether that's on the ice, in the room, JT Miller is not afraid to call it like he sees it. Sometimes that's good. I'm sure there are lots of times, and and you know what we saw with Dilly, the goalie. Um, I'm sure he'd want a mulligan over that. The part that I struggle with, though, is you know it's easy to be critical of management giving JT Miller the the extension and the dollars that they did because it's not working out the way that they had hoped, maybe expected this season. He had a terrific season last season, mm -hmm. but what amplifies it is the most obvious, and that's Bo Horvat having a hell of a year, right? So it's too easy. It's like low-hanging fruit. Well, they should have signed Bo Horvat, you know, in the offseason and, and left JT Miller hanging. 
trust me, I, I, I don't know how the negotiations went in the offseason with Bo Horvat and the Vancouver Canucks. I can tell you that those very close to JT Miller at the draft in Montreal were convinced he was getting yeah. traded and not no extended. Yeah. They were convinced. Yeah. So something in that that dynamic shifted. Um, obviously, it starts with a negotiation, uh, but the comparison between Horvat and should they have signed Miller, why didn't they sign Horvat instead? That one I'm I'm not okay with because you could say that about any team that potentially has made a, a mistake when it comes to extending. But Miller is is a guy that runs hot, man. They knew that. He was like that in New York. He was like that in Tampa. That's who JT Miller is. So I think we're going to have to get used to that. Yeah, that was well said, Driggs. And listen, it is low-hanging fruit, but Ryan will back me here. I felt this way in September before Bo Horvat even scored a goal that they should have signed mm-hmm. Horvat and traded Miller mm-hmm. in the offseason. So yeah. I'm not. This is an armchair quarterbacking from me. I'm not alone. It was for me. Sort. Yeah. Well, but, but I felt that way. I, I was genuinely, I was genuinely, I mean, I was off uh, at the cottage when the Miller signing happened. I was, it's not often you get that surprised about things in our business. I was genuinely surprised JT Miller got extended. I was yeah. like, whoa, did not see that coming. No. To Dreg's point, we left the draft in Montreal saying, I wonder when the Miller trade might happen because of mm-hmm. the amount of talks that were happening. Um, but there's only, the only thing I can come up with is, well, two things. We know the Horvat negotiations didn't go well last summer. Polar, polar extreme positions between Newport Sports and the Canucks on, on Horvat. But the other thing is, and I can't, I don't know this for sure, so I'm truly speculating. But I think that when they put Miller out there to some degree, or at least invited teams to phone, that no one really stepped up to a, to, to a point where it even made them blink at all. And I think the Canucks probably, between the Horvat negotiation and a, maybe a lackluster trade market for JT Miller, said, we're better off signing Miller at this point. And I suspect that's mm. why they went that route. Hmm. All right, good stuff. Uh, we're going to wrap the pod today with two uh, rapid-fire questions. Uh, and it's not going to be rapid because there's three of you and you all like to talk a lot. So I'll get, And I'll actually, I'll even give you the questions ahead of time so you can start formulating your answers. I'm going to ask you who the D-man is that the orders are going to get or who they should get. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to ask you how many goals Tage Thompson's going to finish the season with. Talk about a team that that you know went out on a bit of a limb and and handed out a huge extension that's worked out absolutely fantastic. Thompson, three more goals last night. He's got 30, second in the league behind Connor McDavid, 55 points in 36 games played. This giant of a man is putting up gigantic numbers. Craig, 30 and 36. Uh, where does he finish this season? What is possible for Tage Thompson? 55, Jacob Chickering. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the pod's going to be over in like 30 seconds if you all do that. All right, 35, Jacob Chickering. Drags? Uh, I'm saying 50 plus. Um, So that could be 51, 52, or 55. (laughs) 55, Craig said, yeah. Yeah, I I like Jake Chickering. I don't think management in Edmonton loves him, despite the fact that he's got a terrific contract. So Edmonton seems like a a better fit, unless they were watching the Nashville game last night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I would say to that is that I think GMs are smart enough to know that if you take Joel Joel Edmonton away from that group right now, he might play better for your team. Um, I'm going to go Gavrikov for Edmonton just because Dregs picked Edmonton, so I want to put a different name out there. (laughs) You don't have to do uh, that. Well, I think... You know, Gabrikov's among the names the Oilers yeah. brass are discussing, among others. Um, 
And uh, I'll go with 60 for Tage Thompson. He's on Whoa. pace for, on pace for 68 goals right now, yeah. which I think yeah. is a difficult pace to maintain. But I will give him the 6-0. He's so central to that power play and everything they do. Everything runs through him. And by the way, I'm making this a long answer to prove Ryan's point. Just an example of sometimes you got to wait before you announce that a trade is one-sided or a trade has been won. Ryan O'Reilly won the Blues a cup. Well worth the trade for Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues. Yeah. And then years later, Tage Thompson becomes a superstar. Yep. Jason Botterill made that trade for the Buffalo Sabres. Hmm. You got chapstick or is that just... Well, just saying. Okay. He basically got Botterill <laughs> fired that trade. <laughs> and now Tage Thompson has wow. taken on. Uh, well, yeah, you know, Donnie Granato and, you know, Donnie Granato coached Tage Thompson at the National Team Development Program. And by the way, he played with Austin Matthews in that yeah. program. To the right. same age, they were in the same draft yeah. year. Donnie Granato was coaching the National Team Development Program. Tage played down the lineup, you know, fourth line, 9, 10, 11, 12 forward. Donnie told me continuously that he thought Tage Thompson had this unbelievable raw potential untapped how, how hard yeah. he worked out and everything that he did i the, the irony of this is that donnie now is his coach and right. you know that tage knew that donnie believed in him and now you see tage you know really taking off as an elite player yeah. in the national hockey league so and you're right though you know we you know we're asked to give you know you know quick assessments of a trade and it's easy to say oh yeah ryan o'reilly what a, what a great trade for the for the uh blues but you know Sometimes just understanding that a young player needs a little bit of time and we'll see yeah. where he goes is, is, is an important element of assessment as well. But Craig, as you know, being in that chair as a GM, that's the way a trade should work in the NHL. Both teams end up benefiting. Sometimes yep. at the front, sometimes at the back, but both teams benefit. That ain't, it, uh, ain't always I was the way there. it works. <laughs> I was there, Ryan, with your former teammate, Jerome McGinley. Yeah. It worked pretty good for us in Dallas. And Absolutely. Yeah. One win away from it being the ultimate win-win. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Okay. Quick overtime period, because Oilers fans will be pissed at me if we don't dig into it a bit. You said Jacob <laughs> Chikrin. Drag, you said they don't necessarily think it's the best fit. This is what I want to submit to the group, and then you can beat the crap out of me for it. I think Stanley Cup championship teams need to have really good players on really good contracts. You need some of those. Not just the bit parts on entry level. I'm talking good players who contribute a lot at a good dollar figure. So mm. if Jacob Chikrin plays somewhere near the way he's playing for the rest of the year, what would his relative value be, let's say, on the open market? Is he a $7 million defenseman or more if he continues to play the way he is right now? Yeah, I and think so, he'd be more. Yeah, yeah, right, more. So here's my submission to you. He might not be the perfect fit for what the Edmonton Oilers need in the moment, which is more of a staunch defender maybe. Right. But if you can get $7 million worth of value at 4.6 and you get him for the next three playoffs – Right, And you got to fire assets out the door anyways to improve your team this year. First round pick, prospect, prospect. Uh, keep going, though. That right. Two first round picks, Xavier Borgo, what else? Right. <laughs> okay, so the Edmonton so Oilers sure. need to win a Stanley Cup with Connor McDavid, and they need the to do three, it sometime yeah. in the next three years. I right. agree with that. So what are you holding your cards close to your chest for? What are you waiting for? If they're thinking anything beyond three years – they're thinking too far down the line. You have a chance to add a player at $7 million in value, maybe at 4.6. Rework the blue line around him next year if it's not quite the perfect But fit. what if Kenny doesn't think he's a top three? Well, that's, like yeah, he's a, that's, yeah. If he's a four or five guy, are you blasting out all those assets 
despite the fact that he's got a great contract. But how can you think he's a four or five guy when you look at the way he's playing right now, Craig? Big no, I, I mean, I mean, assessment is is through the eyes of the assessor, right? Mm-hmm. So we can all we can all assess how it is, and I can I can talk about Jacob Turkin. But but how about I throw this hot potato into the into the mix? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Why don't you get both of them? Why don't you get Edmondson and Gavrikov <laughs> and Chikrin? Like two of those guys. You know, if, if uh, like listen, I know there's some financial gymnastics. Go get two of them. Go get the shutdown guy and get Chikrin. Yeah. If you're getting two defensemen in Edmonton, one of them's on the right side, and you're moving one of Bouchard or Barry because they don't need both of these guys. Bouchard no, is struggling yeah. big time this year. Yeah. Get a righty and a lefty if you're doing that. Yeah, well, I know there was some talk last summer. The Oilers did look at John Klingberg, and I think if the Oilers had ended up with John Klingberg, they would have moved out Tyson Barry in that scenario. It never happened, obviously. One thing I'd say to defend defend your theory there, Ryan, is that about the here and now and, and winning a cup with Dreisaitl and, and, and McDavid is that you could argue that was part of the reason why the Oilers haven't blinked about the term of Evander Kane's extension or Jack Campbell's deal is that it's here and now. They're more concerned about the front end of those contracts and the Oilers winning than they are about whether they can live with those deals in your, in, at the end of those contracts. you agree? I mean, that's basically yeah. what you're saying. That's the spirit of those two contracts, is it not? Yeah, no, I think so. And if you look at, so look at Philip Broberg, look at Dylan Holloway, look at Xavier Borgo, look at their first round pick coming up in this year's draft. Are any one of those pieces going to play a really significant part in winning them a cup in the next three years, right? Are any one of those pieces going to be a big piece of that? And I know it's a lot, but rather than fire a first rounder out the door for a rental, package together some assets and give yourself three kicks at the can with Chikrin, Craig. Right. Three kicks at the can with the guy at 4.6. And the West, and I would argue the West is more wide open this year than the East. I think some of the clear elite teams in the National Hockey League are in the East. Mm-hmm. And I think the West, Vegas is having a great year after missing the playoffs last year. Dallas has really come on. Colorado has to get healthy. They're not even in a playoff spot as we tape this, but I think we know where they're headed once they get healthier. But it, generally speaking, it just feels to me that you just need to get in in the West. Yeah. And this might, is the year to go for it in the West. Yeah. So, Ryan, what I would say in my assessment, I think Jacob Chirkin could do for the Edmonton Oilers what uh, Devon Tays did for the Colorado Avalanche. Mm-hmm. And Devon Tays went for two seconds, right? And, and I don't think any of us, you know, were looking at Devon Tays as somebody that was that good. I, I, I thought he was a good solid player. And maybe that's the case with Chikrin, you know, depending on what the range is of our assessment. But that's what I think Chikrin could could, could do uh, on a better team. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Uh, so Connor Bedard played three minutes and 34 seconds of a five minute, 17 second overtime the other night. Wanted more shifts and more shifts. Uh, Craig, you were the Connor Bedard of this overtime segment. You, uh, <laughs> you, you dominated overtime for us tonight. Listen, don't put me into that category. Connor, Connor Bedard stands alone. Like, just let him stand alone. And he shines brightly under the spotlight. And I can't wait to see what but, he does. But by the uh, way, you know, we'll, we'll have to check uh, the federal government census in about 10 years. But between McDavid and Bedard, how many kids are going to be, how many boys are going to be named Connor in the next 10 years? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just A lot of Connors. A lot of Connors on the way. Lots okay, of guys. Ryan's when he left Kamloops years ago, too. <laughs> enough of that garbage thanks guys appreciate it craig enjoy the tournament uh you got a front row seat for it it's going to be a blast uh dregs pierre thanks guys we'll talk to you again soon
Right on, right on. All right, that was the breakdown brought to you by Pro Hockey Life, and that'll wrap the podcast this week, folks. A huge thanks for your downloads and your subscriptions. We appreciate the interest that you've taken in the pod so far. Big thanks to our sponsors as well, Cross Country Canada, Pro Hockey Life, and Liberty Smart Security, also a valued sponsor here on Got Your Back NHL Edition, hoping to land a guest and drop one more pod this week. So keep an eye on our feed. Hopefully there's lots more to come. Cheers, folks. Have a great day. We want to tell you about a truly Canadian company. Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals provides equipment and supplies to all facets of the Canadian construction industry. But what sets them apart is their get-or-done attitude. It's a core value of their company. I've been to the offices. I've seen how they proudly display that on the wall at each branch. Every one of the staff members lives by the get-or-done formula to ensure they'll never let their customers down. They'll bend over backwards to get their clientele what they need when they need it. They don't make excuses. Cross Country Canada takes great pride in this attitude and they truly believe that the success of their customer is their success. You can't get much more Canadian than that.